Hi, welcome to the Brilliant Resilient Club, the podcast all about people who push past their physical comfort zone to gain mental resilience. I'm your host, Bhavani Vadi, and I just want to be clear, this podcast is not just about sporting overachievers, because believe you me, I'm not one of them. In fact, I've hated exercise all my life, probably because I was scarred by PE lessons. I could never make it over the lowest bar in high jump, was the one way at the back in cross country and had such bad nightmares about school swimming lessons that I would regularly sit them out. But I was grounded from my job as a TV reporter during the pandemic because of an autoimmune condition and I took up cold water swimming. This made me want to explore why and how other people take to the physical to cope. I'm in so much pain. I'm literally going crazy because my body's not working. I thought, right, well, fine, fair enough. I'll just go back to my bed die you know it ruined my life but actually at the same time it's ended up transforming my whole life for the better to say that jill castle has faced adversity is an understatement during a traumatic birth she suffered irreparable internal injuries meaning she now has to wear a stoma an opening on the tummy that allows waste to leave her body she struggled to cope with this post-traumatic stress and postnatal depression all while caring for her newborn son Jill was also forced to medically retire from the job she loved as a police officer. Despite all these difficult experiences, Jill just exudes positivity and energy. And I'm so pleased she's joining me as a guest on the Brilliant Resilient Club podcast. Jill, welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Jill, you've overcome so many physical and mental challenges. And before we talk more about that, I'd like to find out how would you define resilience? I would say that resilience is the acceptance of your limitations and your situation, but with the confidence to know that you can overcome your your limitations. Um, and and to me, it's just about being small. You know, it just just start small. Well, I'm only five foot, so maybe I'm doing all right on that front. <laughs> I'm only five foot three, so I'm not that much bigger than you. But you mean by starting small? taking little steps and then building them up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's what resilience is. Mm. Acceptance and confidence, they, they go hand in hand and you can work at both of those. And if you crack both of those, then, well, nothing will stop you. So just tell me a bit about what your life was like before you had your son, Sam, and what changed after his birth? So basically, I was in my early 30s when I fell pregnant. And at that time, I was a police officer in Bradford. So... I was working full time. I was actually very fortunate because I'd just come out of my probation and I was working on the vice team. So I was working in quite a specialised role. Um, Yeah, I was pretty fit, pretty healthy. Used to walk, used to run. Um, I'd been with my husband, Chris, who um, is a commercial diver. We'd been together for about about 15 years by then. So uh, yeah, we'd been together a long time and we were we were really happy, so life was good. Um, I'd always wanted to join the police, but I hadn't actually joined until my late 20s. Sounds like it was a job you absolutely loved. Oh, it was my life. Um, I think when you've got a job like the police, um, it's part of your identity. It's much more than just a job and a career. You, you It sounds all a bit cliche, but you really are part of a family. And that's a really, really special feeling that you don't get with many jobs, so... I was living my dream. It was everything I hoped it would be. And then you had your son. And is it fair to say that what should have been a joyful experience was in fact 
pretty traumatic. Yeah, I mean, we could look at it two ways. It ruined my life, but actually at the same time, it's ended up transforming my whole life for the better, which when you hear the story, you'll be probably quite amazed that I've said the latter. Um, so the baby was due in November, but I actually went into spontaneous labour in October, on the 20th of October. So he was almost six weeks early. And I don't know how much people know about when you have a baby, but when you have a baby, at the very end, the baby actually helps itself out of the birthing canal. Yeah. Basically, he got tired, so his heart went into distress, and he couldn't couldn't help himself out. So they had to get him out really, really quickly using forceps. And in doing so, of course, they caused me really severe injuries. So anyway, they, they had to give me an epidural in order to, to get the baby out. And fortunately, they did get him out and he was absolutely fine. And I was told at the time that I had sustained a tear. I was repaired at the time by the consultant who was on duty. And I was told, yeah, you, you've, you've got quite a bad tear, but you'll be fine. You know, go back, go back onto the ward. And um, but the very next day after I had had the baby I noticed like brown discharge in my underwear and the pain was unbelievable as time went on and as the days went on the pain got worse and worse and worse and essentially after two or three days I was fecally incontinent so and even then even though I told the midwives this um and I was pressing the emergency buzzer every time I went to the toilet when I went to the shower nothing was done about it you know, they still didn't pick up that this was a significant problem. And it got to the point four or five days after the birth that I collapsed in the corridor um, and I was found by a male midwife who, you know, found me on the floor and said, are you OK? And I just said, mm, no, I said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't do it. I can't do this anymore. I'm in so much pain. I'm literally going crazy because my body's not working and and I'm going mad because nobody was listening. So so anyway, this midwife then said the now infamous words of, oh, well, you know, maybe it's your perception of the pain. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I mean, I've never, ever, ever, ever forgotten that. And I will never, ever forget it. And actually, a part of me died at that moment because I just thought, I, I can't believe this like I've, I've literally collapsed and, and I've just told you that I can't that I can't go on um I thought right well fine fair enough I'll just go back to my bed and die you know that's um this is it like <laughs> because I can't cope I just cannot I cannot bear another second of this but word obviously got round so they got the consultant in anyway during this examination they discovered that I hadn't got a small tear I had a significant fourth degree tear which is when you're torn all the way from the vagina through the rectum through the internal and ex external sphincter muscles and I had a rectovaginal fistula which is when you have a hole in the lining between the rectum and the vagina so that means that there's feces coming out of your vagina as well and of course all of this all these pieces everywhere had combined to create an enormous abscess which had burst so they said right the only option that we've got is to give you a colostomy a stoma operation for people who don't know what a stoma is can you explain how it affects your life 
So, so basically, a stoma is formed when they, they cut into your abdomen and they cut through either the, the large or the small intestine and they bring out a section of the intestine so that the poo comes out of there and goes into a bag that's stuck onto your stomach. So the part of the intestine that's out on your stomach, that is called a stoma. And the bag that attaches onto your abdomen and collects the waste is called the stoma bag. Right. Straight away, I was trying to get my head around the fact that I was going to be going to the toilet through my stomach. But at the same time, I actually didn't care because I thought, right, this, this is it. This is going to solve my problem. This is going to take away my pain. And when you're in the level of pain that I was in, you could have said to me, we're going to cut off both your legs. And I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> do, do whatever you like, you know. Um, um, and they said, look, don't, don't worry, though. This will only be for 12 weeks. So again, I thought, well, you know, it's only 12 weeks of my life. You know, that that's all. It's only 12 weeks. Um, I can do this. But it wasn't just for 12 weeks, was it? To cut a long story short, they, they launched this investigation, which said that when the consultant was initially repairing my tear, she thought it was a second degree tear. And she'd actually missed the point that I had a fourth degree tear and I had a fistula. And that led to all of the, you know, the abscess and all of my, you know, the septic tract and all, all that sort of thing. Um, people actually struggle to believe me when I say this, um, but it's true. I've never actually blamed her and I've never been bitter about it at all. Um, I knew that if I was bitter about it and I didn't forgive her, it would it would just ruin my life. Then after as a result of this investigation and the fact that they realised that my sphincter was completely destroyed, if you like, couldn't be repaired, the stoma was going to be permanent. And this is when I realised everything was going to change. Because at the time, the force that I was in were going to be bringing in new regulations, which meant that if you weren't out on the front line, which I couldn't imagine doing because, you know, you've got your bowel out on your stomach. And I just thought, God, you know, like if I'm stabbed or if I'm pushed over or, you know, that's emergency surgery straight away. So I wouldn't be able to do my job properly. And that would put me at risk and my colleagues at risk. And, I, you know, that's not fair. But also mentally, I was just, well, you can imagine, you know, severe anxiety, hypervigilance, postnatal depression. I was just and I couldn't, I wasn't coping with my bags. They were leaking all over the place. So, you know, I'd, I remember going to like the big Asda and having a leak and then go, oh, and I've got this tiny little baby. And I just, I remember pushing him over in the trolley to a staff member and just said, please, can you just look after my baby? I've got a staff, you know, I've got, I've got to go to the toilet. And, and she was fine and she looked after him. But God, I mean, I can still remember the, the stress levels of, of, of that happening. Um, so the, the idea of me going out on the front line just, yeah, I just couldn't imagine. It was unimaginable. Your body went through so much and that period of your life sounds so incredibly difficult, but you did rebuild. I did, yeah. Um, after about three years, I um, started to think, you know, I've got to do something about this because, you know, th this bag is with me for the rest of my life. I was pretty overweight at the time. And I read an article by an athlete with a stoma and she said, you know, I'm really grateful for everything that my stoma has given me. Um, it's enabled me to have a much better life than I had before. So that 
was like a like a light bulb moment. I thought, hang on a minute, like there's athletes with stomas. And and also, what has my stoma done for me? Because it had all been about what has it taken away? It took away my job, it took away bonding with my baby, took away my my body, if you like. Um, and I started to think, well, you know, if I didn't have this stoma, I would be incontinent. I'd be stuck in the house. So with this bag, I actually do have the opportunity and the ability to go out and do things. I thought, right, come on, Jill, get a grip and just get out there and make the most of of the life that you've got, you know. So I saw an advert for an online, not an online, an indoor cycling club that was run by the local triathlon club. So I, went, I thought, right, I'm going to go, going to try it. The toilets will be nearby. So off I went and tried it. Had a heart attack after about 35 seconds. But <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was so exhausting. But just, you know, I mean, I, do, I didn't really complete the full session. But I was hooked. And I just thought, no, this is, this is it. I'm going to keep going with this. Yeah. And I'd actually always wanted to do a triathlon. But like so many people, you know, I thought, well, I could never do that. You know, it's exhausting to go from <laughs> uh, swimming to cycling to running. And, oh, I could never do that. Right. Um, because I also thought, you know what? All the stuff that you've been through, all this horrific trauma and all these physical yeah. challenges that you've had to overcome just to leave the house. I mean, seriously, you can try a triathlon. <laughs> And if it's awful, you just stop and put your hand up and go, no, I can't do this. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And I went off and I, and I did it. Amazing. And I completed it and I didn't walk any of the way and I did fine. And and I just thought, yeah, I just thought, right, well, there you go. And, and, and like, I regard life a lot about, like, just getting little bricks. And that was like the first little brick in my road to recovery, if you like, and to getting my confidence because I thought, well, You've done that. Well, actually, it started with the indoor cycling classes. Um, and then, obviously, that gave me the confidence to try the, the triathlon. And I did that. So then I thought, right, I'm going to try the next distance. So I tried that and did that. And it was fine. And then the local triathlon club, en masse, for some reason, decided that they were going to do a half Ironman, which is a 1.2-mile swim, 56-mile bike ride, and 13.1-mile run at the end. Oh, this sounds like absolute madness to me. I know, I know, but I just thought, you know, why not? Have a word with yourself, Jill, and just get on with it. So I thought, right, I'm going to do this. But part of that was obviously doing an open water swim, which I'm terrified of the open water. You know, I watched Jaws in 1988 or whatever it was and frightened the living hell out of me and was frightened of open water ever since then. So I had to kind of overcome that in order to, to complete the open water section of the swim, which I managed to do. And um, and I managed to to complete the half Ironman. Um, wow. I did actually have a torn adductor when I did it. I'd torn it the month before. And I was doing it to raise money for the Birth Trauma Association, which obviously is really, really important to me. That was just like another really significant thing. And I remember saying to so many members of the tri club, you know, this is so much more than a triathlon to me. Mm. This is because I've been in the paper about my, my childbirth injuries and my, and my story. And I'd gone really, really public for the first time. And but also physically completing the challenge 
two challenges, did open water swim and a half half Ironman, which never in my wildest dreams did I think I would do anything like that. So, and I did it all. And, you know, from there, my confidence has just grown and grown and grown and grown, really. Um, and it's all about getting back control of your life. Yeah. Because what had happened to me was losing my job and everything. All of that had been completely out of my control. And I just thought, no, I don't want fears dictating to me what I am and what I am not going to do. Mm-hmm. And it was all these little bricks on my road that gave me the confidence to know that I could, I could do it. So I joined um, a local group of sea swimmers. And I mean, everyone, we still laugh about this. I mean, we're talking about five years ago now, I think. And um, at the beginning, for a year and a half, I had to have my eyes shut when my face was in the water. Because if I looked and I couldn't see anything, complete panic straight away. You know, when your chest restricts and you can't breathe properly and you're just gripped by it. That would happen like literally immediately. But if I had my eyes shut and then I just had them open when I was breathing, doing front crawl, I could just go into a zone, <laughs> pretend that I wasn't in the sea. Um, I totally get that because I hated having my head underwater. I used to have nightmares about swimming lessons because of that when I was a kid. But yeah, as you say, it's those first steps, isn't it? I walked my first length in my local idea. It's only very recently that for the first time in my life, I've actually managed to swim a length of crawl. Can you believe it? (laughs) Yeah, but fantastic. And how great does it make you feel? Yeah, but I haven't done it since. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You did it once, you'll do it again, you know, and then you'll get up to two lengths and three lengths and four lengths. And... Yeah. And that wild swimming journey, that's what led you to swimming through the winter in just a bikini, right? And I'd started up a like a positivity blog by that point called Stoma Chameleon. And I was thinking, you know, I want something like a challenge to get me through winter because lockdown's just rubbish and it's bound to happen again in winter. Mm. What can I do? And uh, so again, completely spontaneously, I decided that I would wear nothing but a bikini for three open water swims a week from the 1st of October till the 1st of May. Um, A lot of people say, why the 1st of May? And it's because March and April is actually when the water's the coldest in the UK. And this is the North Sea you're swimming in? The North Sea, so the northeast coast of England. um, And I also was prepared for the fact that we were going to get another wave of coronavirus Mm. and I wouldn't be able to get to the sea or if the sea was going to be too rough um I had a bath so I had an old bath in my garden (laughs) I filled (laughs) up with water and I used to dunk in there as well Uh, and like I said because I did this like quite spontaneously I didn't really appreciate how difficult it was going to be I, I mean I did only only commit myself to three times a week because I thought I'm not doing it every day no. because yeah no I'm just not yeah. <laughs> but yeah it it was really tough and it was really tough when I was doing it in my bath because the n- number one the bath is colder you have to smash the ice to get in 0.5 <gasps> degrees was the coldest my bath got to but also you're not moving in the bath so you can't keep warm and you're not with your mates yeah because normally when you're open water swimming especially in the cold like that's what the banter's all about yeah, getting yeah, in yeah, and laughing yeah, and yeah. you know it's all yeah you're all in it together yeah exactly but so I mean I used to uh, live stream on social media every time I went in the bath part of it was proof <laughs> but also <laughs> I realized you know it's a bit like these I'm a celebrity things like the more I suffered 
the more money I raised. So people loved it if I was sitting in the snow or I was smashing ice to get in, you know, and did put myself through it, I can tell you that. <laughs> but at the same time, it was amazing. What an incredible experience. Um, but the, the bath thing was also ended up being pretty significant because when I first had my stoma, I didn't, um, I didn't have a bath for two years. It was, I, even though I've accepted my bag, I still didn't like lying in the bath mm. and seeing it like floating about. I was just a bit like, no, that's not like relaxing. So, so when I was doing these, uh, these cold water baths, I started to see on Instagram pictures um, or I'd get messages from girls with stomas saying, you know, I've just taken my first bath with my stoma because I've seen Jill Castle, um, you know, in a bikini, in all weathers, in a bath in a garden. And yeah. now yeah. this doesn't sound like a big thing to people, but do you think how much enjoyment you get out of being in a bathroom with bubble bath on? And yeah. just even, you know, when mothers, you only get about 45 milliseconds before you're <laughs> discovered by the kids anyway. And then they want to get in. Yeah, exactly. Or if you like me, you've got cats that do actually get in, fall in, and then that's a whole other carnage of its yeah. own. Yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah, and I just thought, wow, that's that. Me doing this has given something to them yeah. um, that, that I wish I had had in those first two years. Yeah. And basically, my message is life is not over after a traumatic birth, and you can do anything with a stoma. You can be happy again. And the amount of conversations I had with people on the beach, um, and even the conversations I didn't have, the just the 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 nods, the quiet nods that I had from people, from women of all ages, um, from men as well, and um, I think it really touched people because it, they're both such unspoken topics of conversation. But again, I think it just captured people's imagination because, you know, I was really going out there and. Well, I was not really showing people that you yeah. can do anything. All of these physical challenges, you know, your body's been through so much and you've really pushed yourself past your comfort zone. How do you think that's helped you perhaps be resilient in other parts of your life? Well, it just makes you feel powerful. And I think if you're in charge of your body, that gives you the confidence to um, take control of other parts of your life. Um, and I think if, if you're well in your body, that can help you be well in your mind. Mm. And if you've got those parts of you that are healthy and well, then it gives you the strength to, to tackle other things that are going on. Mm. A, a, a lot of life is about overcoming fear and, and fear is a mental and a physical reaction or feeling. Um, and that stops us from doing so many things. So I think if you push your body, then by pushing your body, you are also pushing your, your mind mentally, making yourself stronger in every way. And that that just can translate into, into being more resilient because you're more confident. There are so many aspects of our health and, and life we can't control that are out of our hands. So by stepping into something physical that you can take part, you think you can gain some kind of control? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, and it's also taking control of, of, of your mind, and because where your mind goes, your body will follow. So, so, yeah, I mean, I do understand there are obviously physical limitations, but I just think people are too quick to hide behind things. So just try things and you don't have to do crazy things like I do. You don't have to like I've just done the 20, uh, three national three peaks in 24 hours. You don't have to do that. Mm. <laughs> like For some people, a physical challenge is walk into their local shop 
yeah yeah and don't forget when I first started at that indoor cycling class I could only stand up on the wheels um on the wheels no on the on the pedals yeah for, uh, like one rotation and then I was just ugh, exhausted now I could probably stand up for like 10 minutes and cycle up a hill mm. but we all start off differently and we've all got different goals and we've all got different challenges and and I just think yeah just try it it it, it really it's a ma- it's a real passion of mine to get people to just try things so what's next on the cards so next on the cards is solo channel swim in 2023 ah! so I mean this is massive I have to overcome my fear of swimming on my own in the open water in the dark I have to swim at least, well, it's 21 miles as the seagull flies, but it'll be longer than that because of the tides and the currents. And I am raising money for the Colostomy UK, mm-hmm. the Birth Trauma Association. And also very special to me is Jacob's Well Appeal. And they send things like um, ostomy supplies to impoverished countries, right. to children who use things like plastic bags and tin cans, you know, that have any stoma products at all. And, mm. And so they they help them to to live the life that I've got, not a tip granted. So absolutely terrifying, but really exciting. At the end of the day, if you think back to 2017, I had that 1.2 mile open water swim and that was a massive ordeal for me. And now I'm signed up to swim the English Channel solo. So, and I'm not anything special. I'm a totally normal person. So I started with my little bricks. Well, Jill, I think you are someone special and I'm in complete awe of everything you've achieved and overcome. Uh, But like you said, it's those small steps Mm -hmm. building brick by brick and anyone can take away that message. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Jill. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and I really look forward to following your journey towards that cross-channel swim. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope you found Jill's insights as inspiring as I did. She's known on social media as Stoma Chameleon, where you can follow her outdoor adventures. A huge thanks to her and thanks to you for tuning into the Brilliant Resilient Club podcast. If you liked it, then please do subscribe, rate and leave us a review as it can help other people find the show. Bye for now.